welcome to the Baller Shorts Podcast. We've been off for two weeks. We apologize to those of you who could not get through your Thanksgiving holiday without us. But we do have new microphones, crystal clear sound. Doug, you've never sounded better. Yeah, apparently. That's what I've been told. But yeah, we're a a multi-microphone podcast now. I think that puts us in the upper echelon. We're moving up. Moving up. And hopefully, moving up with our basketball analysis. The NBA this year, I think it's as good as it's ever been. Scoring's up. Defense also looks better, though. I think the level of play overall is just elevated. There's a lot of good teams. And there's been a huge conversation over the past 10 years, I guess, about the shifting style of basketball in the NBA. Going small, having players that are more versatile and can play multiple positions. And for a few years, there were a couple teams that seemed to be ahead of the curve. And with the rest of the league catching up, I feel like the basketball itself has just gotten better. Because that style, where everyone can score, everyone can pass, the players themselves are more versatile, big men are hitting threes, it lends itself to being pleasing to the eye. And you told me a really interesting stat right before this podcast. I knew that was coming. I'm passing the buck of Ben's statistical oddities over to you this time. Doug. So I just came across this stat that I think I can explain, but it is interesting nonetheless, that guards this year, as of today, today being Tuesday, 7.34 p.m., Guards are shooting 35.6% from three. And centers, as a positional group, are shooting 36.4% from three. However, I think you can chalk that up to guards who are bad three-point shooters will still shoot threes, while centers who are bad three-point shooters, like Dwight Howard, will never shoot a three. That being said, it plays to your point where, you know, we're kind of shifting towards positionless basketball. Everyone can shoot. Floor spacing is one of the biggest buzzwords in in basketball, and, and it's just showing that Marcus Gasol this year has taken more threes than he had in his previous seven years or however many years he had been in the NBA in just the first 30-some-odd games. You know what I'd be curious to find out? How many threes are shot by guards versus big men with five or fewer seconds left on the shot clock? I think another thing you see with guards is the bailout three the we, we had nothing going this possession i need to launch one up you're never seeing that for a center because the ball's never in their hands so i would say centers are probably shooting better and more open three-point attempts yes than the guards of course and they're only shooting when they've been given the green light by their coach for the most part i'm sure there's maybe a center or two out there shooting threes you shouldn't be but... boogie cousins <laughs> yeah but even his percentage isn't terrible at least it wasn't last year which would lend to the fact that he's been given the green light this year. I'm looking him up right now. What would you think his three-point percentage would be uh, this year? 32%. He is at 39%. <laughs> there you go. Just prove the point. I, I lowballed it. But speaking of good shooting, and we did not plan this segue. It just happened very well. Yeah. The Warriors. Yeah. You've been hating on them a lot <laughs> at the beginning of the season. You thought the experiment wouldn't work. I had reserved optimism, and I think at this point with – them really running through the league. They're 16-2 and two now and absolutely crushing teams. I think it's fair to say that this experiment is working out. Yeah. So I have been anti-Warriors. I've talked about their negatives as opposed to their positives, which is ridiculous when they think when you think about it because the things they do no other NBA teams done before. They're somehow... Their offensive efficiency rating, which measures how many um, points you score per 100 possessions. So it's essentially pace-adjusted. So it, it puts all the NBA teams on an even level. 
So the Warriors were obviously first last year, but they're four points better this year, which is incredible. I didn't think they could get better. Yes, they got better on paper with Kevin Durant, but I didn't think they could get more efficient. I thought he would just be, you know, an added element and an added scorer onto this team, added superstar onto this team. But it's unbelievable what they're doing. And they're clearly clicking a lot quicker than other super teams that have assembled before. And a criticism of them early on was the beautiful brand of Warriors basketball is gone. They're taking turns. That's shifted. And you know what? It makes sense while they feel each other out during a real NBA season that they might revert to a little bit of iso ball, especially Kevin Durant, who's literally played iso ball for every season of his career. It's difficult, even if he wants to play a different style, to switch that mentality, especially something that's become so ingrained. And and now Durant is realizing, oh, my shots will become easier yeah. if I play this style. And you know who's also brilliant this year? I mean, every year. Steve Kerr. In the way he's staggering this. Yes. And the way he's having two stars on the floor at all times and making sure that there never is a lineup without a pairing that can really get easy shots for themselves and others. Brilliant, yes. The staggering of minutes, I think, was a necessity. I think, I'd like to think the average NBA coach would have done it. He's done it very well, but I think everyone thought coming in, he's arguably got four superstars, maybe four of the top 20 players in the NBA. There's no point to have them all go all out for 10 minutes and then have four minutes with maybe only one of them on the floor and, and, and risk that, especially with the bench being a little more depleted than we're used to seeing. To your credit, though, when you look at the Warriors bench, you always have to factor in at least one of the superstars because that bench is never playing by itself. Clay's out there. Steph's out there. Draymond. KD. Zaza. If you want to call him a borderline superstar, I know I know you, you're very high on Zaza. He's one of the best names in the NBA. Yeah, I made up that. I don't, I don't think he's a superstar, nor do I think Ben is particularly high on him. I think the fans needed you to clarify. Thank you for that, Doug. But with the Warriors, I have a question for you. Yeah. Could they feasibly win 73 games? I think they could. They could. I think I think they'll win 70. I think they'll win 70, but every team has a mid-season swoon of sorts. You get to those dog days of February, March... I, I I don't even think that's it, necessarily. I, I, I don't even think that's it. Do you think after what they went through last year, when they were a little more visibly tired in, in the finals, Steph Curry was banged up and fatigued in the finals, could that have been attributed to going after 73 wins in the regular season, which they were very verbal about the fact that they wanted to do it, and, and for some of them it meant even more than a championship because it immortalized them. Could that play into effect? If they clinch first place in the West, maybe clinch first place in the NBA, do they rest their players? They potentially do. But say Kerr rests one of the big four, Draymond, Steph, Clay, KD, every game, and they play with the other three. Are they not still favored every game they play? Favored, yeah. Favored, yeah. I think, you know, you're taking one superstar off a team that isn't as deep as they were last year. I keep wanting to reiterate that. I don't think it's necessarily going to come back to haunt them in the playoffs because you have your strict rotations in the playoffs. But in the regular season, it could hinder them a little bit as he as Steve Kerr wants to get rest for his main guys. Yeah, no, and I, I do think it could be a problem. And they could, though, 
reel off 34 straight wins. They could break the straight win record. They could. It wouldn't shock anybody. No. And obviously we can't project too far in the future. I have a question for you about the Warriors, though, and then, and then maybe we'll move on. Maybe. Are you enjoying watching them this year as much as you did last year? This is something I've personally wrestled with a lot. It's hard for me to answer this because my instinct wants to say no because they've inserted Kevin Durant and like you said earlier, it would to the common person you would think it would it would remove the beautiful brand of basketball because now they have just another superstar who could go ISO. But yes, I've watched I have enjoyed them. I don't know if I've enjoyed them as much as I did last year because like last year they were somewhat of a novelty with how good they were. And this year they're if they're that good again, that's amazing and record breaking, but not a novelty. You know what I mean? Like I get that. I, I get more... And things are always exciting when they're new. Yeah. And the Warriors. Like the Clippers. Yeah. Yeah. Like I, I totally get that. And I think that's actually being left out of the conversation is the fact that in some ways we've become a little bit inured to the beauty of the Warriors basketball. You know what I mean? Like if you, see a, if you see a rainbow every day, do yeah. you think it's as beautiful? If I see a rainbow today or tomorrow, I don't think it's beautiful. It's just a rainbow. It's just colors. Gosh, this is what I'm... Uphill battle for me. I have a question for you. Sure. I'm going to give you four teams. And you tell me which team should be the most concerned. You can think about this short-term, long-term. Okay. H- however you think of it. Here are the four teams. Okay. The 9-10 and 10 Trailblazers. Mm-hmm. The 5-12 and 12, 12 Timberwolves. Okay. The 8-10 and 10 Pistons. Okay. Or the six and ten wizards. So we got wizards, pistons, timberwolves, and trailblazers. All teams that expected to be in the playoffs. Yeah. With differing levels of those expectations. All right, I'll quickly run down the the teams I'm not going to choose. So the T wolves, I don't think have a cause for concern that much because yes, they had playoff expectations, but they're in the West. The West is tough. They're a very young team with a really good core that could grow together and a really good coach who can mold that core. I'm not worried about them. Do I think they're going to make the playoffs? No. But for me, that's not what I would worry about with this team. It's more long-term. So they're not my answer. I'm still struggling to find out why they're playing so poorly. I've watched a lot of them this year, and I've looked at stats, and they match up relatively well across a lot of stats, team stats against the rest of the NBA. You look at the box score, and their stars are seeming to perform. Yes, yeah. they have some problems off the bench, but when you have the the starting lineup they have, which I think is better than two-thirds of the NBA, I'm having trouble figuring out why they're winning less. And Tibbs made an immediate impact when he got to Chicago. Why is there not that same immediate impact? A few weeks ago, we hypothesized maybe it's the age of the players, but yeah. they're losing games they should not lose, and I don't get it. You know, it's going to be a tremendous culture change in Minnesota to get that team to be a winning team. They haven't been a real legitimate winning team probably since the the KG days. The KG-Sam Cassell team. Um, Latrell Sprewell. Latrell Sprewell, yeah. So, uh, yeah, it would have been nice to see the immediate change that everyone expected. But, again, they play in a very tough conference. He's got very young players. You know, Towns and Wiggins are looking like potential superstars, like potential 1As, but, uh, you know, the, the nucleus around them is very young. Like, he's, he's just dealing with a lot of young players, and he's trying to make it work. 
I do see them improving over the course of the year. Like if we're sitting here in February with the same concerns, okay, fine. Like if, you know, proportionally they have the same winning percentage, I'm with you, but I think they'll improve. I, I, I don't think really in today's NBA, especially in the West, you could just take over a team with a great coach and, and boom, immediate impact. I don't know if they're a good defensive team outside of those two guys anyway. And you know what? I think Wiggins is overrated defensively, and I've watched him We've play. We've spoken about this. He makes spectacular plays, but he loses concentration, and he doesn't do the little things. But one thing I love about Wiggins this year, and I doubt anyone said this, and it's kind of strange, I really like the height at which he keeps his socks. What height is that? I, I don't it's, even know. <laughs> it's, it's in between the mid-calf and like the usual crew sock length. Yeah. It's like shorter than a high sock, but longer than your average NBA players, and a little bit ruffled. It just sits well on him. I don't know. That's fair. Can I say something? I don't usually like to brag, but I have enormous calves, and I don't think I could pull that look off because I think the sock would just go down as I start playing. Like I think it would fall down my leg. Your your calves are not designed for th- those type of socks, no. He's got slender legs. Yeah. Slender legs. <laughs> slender Does legs. he have a nickname yet? Slender legs. <laughs> I don't think he would appreciate that. You know what? I was I can't remember who I was listening to on a podcast or reading, but there's a dearth of nicknames right now for the greatest players in the league. Nowadays everybody's nickname is their initials. A D, Big Cat, P G. Like, get some nicknames. Yeah, I guess. That's the only thing that was better about the nineties NBA. Everyone had a great nickname. Swaggy P. Okay. Those aren't initials. No, that's, what very, is the that's very good. I read it once but forgot it. We're going to propose Slender Legs. Slender Legs. last thing about the Timberwolves. I know we were saving this later, but yeah. we're on the subject. And it just got mentioned. Anthony Davis versus Carl Anthony Towns. A popular comparison. Kentucky big men. And it was very trendy to say before the season that, that Towns supplanted Davis as the big man with the highest upside. Yeah. Looking at both team performance and individual stats this season, everything seems to be shifting in Davis's direction. Let me just run through a couple stats. Yeah, tremendously. Here's Towns. And this isn't anything to scoff at. 21 points a game, 9.5 rebounds per game, shooting 49%, should be a little bit better, but 39% from three. He has a 22.3 PER. Anthony Davis, on a team that I would say... and I don't think this is arguable, has much less talent, is leading the league with 31.6 points a game, 11 rebounds per game, has a PER of 32, and has a smattering of blocks and steals. Yeah. Uh, leading the league in steal blocks with almost three over a steal per game. Yeah. And his team is 6-10. and 10. No, he, he's, uh, he's held that team together. He's been the literal glue of that team, if you will. AD Who would you rather have? AD. I mean, injuries aside. Injuries put aside. put injuries aside. Okay. AD. Yeah, he's a few years older, but he's... The things he can do, he can run the break, he could lead the break, he could... He, I mean, he, he could post up, he could spot up, he could take your guy off but, the dribble. But Towns has showed flashes Towns of being able to do shown, all of those things. Yeah, I don't think he's there yet. Defensively, Towns is a presence. I think AD is a force, if you will. Ooh. What if those are their new nicknames? The presence and the force. Towns can become a force. He could be Force 2.0 one day. I'm not sure. But <laughs> but AD right now, I think, has the edge there. One thing to say, 
um, is that AD plays more alongside a traditional center. Not that I necessarily like that, but I think he's got to bulk up a little more to be a center. But he does have Omar Sheik, which allows AD to roam free a little bit defensively and maybe play um, shot blocker. I hate the idea that having Omar Sheik could benefit anyone. Having Omar Sheik is nothing anyone should ever want. Well, they hardly have him. He hardly plays. Like, he's always injured. Omar Sheik has done a better job than almost anyone in the league at swindling teams out of money. Remember when he played, like, what, 12 minutes a game for the Bulls, but he was the next coming of Eastern European center number two? I don't know. He was was the guy in free agency that year. Something that scouts and front office people always do that I just don't understand is the overestimation of bench guys who have great... Per, ga- per 36 minute stats in small sample sizes, often at the end of games. Bismack? How- yeah. How come people haven't figured this out yet? Bismack? That obviously, when you play against another team's second unit, you'll be better. Obviously, when you play in short bursts and don't have to sustain a high level of play, you'll be better. It's It's been going on for decades, and teams keep throwing money at guys in the hope that something will materialize, and it almost never happens. So what you're saying is if either one of us could just get on an NBA roster, get in for one minute, maybe sink a three, dish out an assist, our per 36 averages would look amazing and we would get hundreds of millions of dollars in free agency, maybe a max deal. You'd be absolutely crushed on the defensive end. No, I would be taken out before I got to play defense. Oh, you're an offense-defense sub. Yeah, I'll play for like a 30-second possession. We get an offensive rebound. By me. I get an offensive rebound. It's a long rebound. It kicks out to me. <laughs> right place, right time? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Okay, so you would take AD. But you? You gotta say AD with the way he's playing. He's leading the league in, in PER right now. He is, and he's incredible. And he makes shots that routinely leave me wondering how he made them. Yeah. I've never seen someone his size outside of Durant and Nowitzki, who are but aren't his size, hit that many fallaways and leaners and floaters. If you had to describe the type of shots that Anthony Davis put in the basket, it's really hard to describe because he always seems off balance. He never seems wide open and the ball just lands straight through the net. It's really incredible. I think Towns has a more maybe... uh, Traditional? Traditional and... That being said, he is... Holistic skill set. I've seen him... Get the ball at the top of the key, make some nice moves, maybe a crossover, and pull up from mid-range looking like a guard. Not as smooth as AD will do it, but yeah, he is more traditional in the sense, but he's getting there. No, no, I I, I think he has guard-like skills, but like, I, I think, I don't know, I think Towns will eventually be able to do more things, but I think there's a knack that Anthony Davis has that is really hard to replicate. Of course, I mean... Obviously. I think he's one of the top five players in the league, which was in depth. I think was people were willing to say that before last season, then he got injured. Okay. He got injured. Well, now that you took me there, wasn't planning on talking about this. I'm going to name five players and you're going to tell me who he's better than. Okay. Ready? Yeah. LeBron James. He's not better than LeBron. Steph Curry. He's not better than Steph. Durant. He's not better than Durant. Russell Westbrook. He's not better than Westbrook. Kawhi Leonard. Oh, you got me. All right, fine. He's a top six or seven That's player. That's fair. I, I mean, yeah. maybe you can make a case. I don't know. Yeah. I wanted to say yes with Kawhi, but Kawhi's too good as well. I He's can't. too I good can't. defensively. I can't. 
Exactly. Okay, so back to the four teams I proposed earlier. Oh, yeah. Timberwolves are off the table. We got Trailblazers, we got the Disappointing Wizards, and the Pistons. Pistons, I don't know if we have to spend too much time on. I, I like your inclusion of them in this four, but they're, they're without their second best player in Reggie Jackson. Um, and it's a team that kind of is, has been pieced together. They got Marcus Morris last year at the deadline. No, sorry, they got Tobias Harris at the deadline. Markeith went to Washington who we'll talk about in a second. Um, I still think, you know, they've yet to have that five that they, you know, their they're, they're crux, their good five of Jackson, Caldwell, Pope, Morris, Harris, and Drummond for a solid 30, 35 games. I think they need to play together. And with Jackson being injured this year, they haven't been. But I'm not too worried about them. I have faith in uh, your boy, Stan Van Gundy. Stan, Stan Van Gummy Bears. Is that he's, a new he's, product? He's is that a new product? His line. He's going from breakfast oh, cereal. Dude, little fat gummy bears shaped like Stan Van Gundy. This is that I could actually get behind. Stan Van Gummy Bears. I could get behind that. There's something there. There's something there. It's much better than having <laughs> him on a cereal box. I can't get over that. <sighs> okay, so we got Wizards or Blazers. This is interesting. It's a very interesting question. I'm gonna go. Wizards, but let me tell you first why I don't think the Trailblazers. It, it's close too. The Trailblazers have the superstars. They have Lillard. They have McCollum. Wizards. I don't think we'll have John Wall soon, and I don't think Bradley Beal is really established to be considered a superstar yet. And I do think they're going to have trouble attracting superstars. I think Bradley Beal is a below-average shooting guard. I'll say it. I, there are. 30 guards in the league I'd rather have on my team than Bradley Beal. It's interesting. I I, I haven't done the math, so I don't know if I could agree with you on that. I do think that John Wall would be a tough um, point guard to play with if you're you're striving to be a superstar-type shooting guard. Why? Wall is totally a pass-first point guard. Yeah. And if you run with him, and if you run off screens, you're getting shots. I agree, but I don't know if there's room for all the penetration he does, for how quick he moves, for how he runs the break. He's phenomenal. I think he is one of the better point guards in the league. I don't think, though, it's amenable to put uh, a shooting guard who you know sits there, is great running off curls, catching and shooting, maybe penetrating off that curl. John Wall's not a half-court point guard. He's a, he's a, he's a fast-break type point guard. He wants to go. He wants to run the pick-and-roll. He wants to throw up the lobs. I'm not seeing it for Beal and Wall. I think I think the the duo is going to be gone. John Wall, Sacramento Kings. Boogie's recruiting him, but I don't know if Boogie realizes he's probably not destined for that team. By the way, I realize that my dislike of Bradley Beal. Yeah. I haven't really done that much research on him, just from the eye test. Uh, so I decided just to look up his stats right now, and in his last seven games that he's played. Shooting 47%, 24 points per game, four boards, 3.7 assists. Maybe I'm wrong. Yeah, he's definitely not below average. I, I didn't want to call you out. You can call me out. Okay. When have you never, when have you avoided calling me out? It, you know what? Thanksgiving, I sat back, I reflected, I said, I'm thankful for Ben, and I call him out too much. <laughs> so I'm going to stop calling you out. That's very kind of you. I'm just kidding. I just didn't have. I don't know. I didn't have it in me to call you out on that. Bradley Beal, I don't think, is a superstar, though. And that's the argument that you know, I want to make. I don't think he is worthy of the money he's getting. Fair enough. And that leaves us with the Blazers, who you don't think are in as much trouble as the They're Wizards. They're in a lot of trouble. 
But I know you've done a lot of stats. Yeah, they're in a lot of trouble. Okay, so Portland spent a ton of money in the offseason. I know ton is not a precise term because you can't really... I don't know how much the money they would have spent on these players weighs, and ton is a measurement of weight. Oh, like if like the $70 million for Alan Crabb, how much that yeah. would physically weigh in pounds or tons. Bad joke. Okay, anyway, they spent a lot of that money. That would be interesting Over to Over $200 million dollars guaranteed. So... They're starting five. Their main players who have been starting most of the season, Damian Lillard, C.J. McCollum, Mason Plumlee, Mo Harkless, are all statistically better. Their PERs, their points, rebounds, for the most part, their assists per 36 minutes are all better. Their minutes are all pretty much in line with how they were last year. It, it, so the, the problem, obviously, therein lies with the bench, which... You add Evan Turner into the mix, and it changes the whole dynamic. But Alan Crabb, Evan Turner, Myers, Myers, Leonard, and Noah Vonla, who've been the the main guys on defense on off their bench so far this year, have been awful. Their stats have absolutely plummeted, and the only difference there really is Evan Turner. So clearly, there's some sort of adjustment. What I have seen is Terry Stotts' desire to to use Evan Turner as the guy off the bench. He used to stagger. Lillard and McCollum's minutes a little more than I think he's doing. And I do think C.J. McCollum is terrific running that second unit. And that's what Stotts used to let him do. He used to pull McCollum a little earlier in the first and third quarter and let him run with the second unit, you know, towards the end of the quarter and into the second and fourth quarter and let Lillard run the show. I think he's backed off of doing that because Turner is not an off-the-ball player. Uh, you call him a point guard, don't call him a point guard. He, he's not a good shooter. And if he's not a guy with the ball in his hands, he's he's not going to play well. So those are offensive stats. Defensively, they've been a train wreck. They are last in defensive efficiency. They're averaging 110.5 points per 100 possessions, which is by far last in the NBA. Worse than your Lakers, who you've called the worst defensive team ever. Worse <laughs> than last year's Lakers, who were statistically worse and the worst team in the NBA last year. Last year, the, the Trailblazers were tied for 20th in the NBA at 105.6 points given up per 100 possessions. So they weren't great defensively last year, but five points is big. There are only five teams worse than the Blazers in plus-minus per game. There you go. The worst is the Philadelphia 76ers. Yeah. Close behind them, the Brooklyn Nets. Yeah. And I think the Sixers are better than the Nets. The problem is they have to rest Embiid every like third minute. And Jaleel Okafor, yeah. I don't know why right. it's taken him so long to play a full complement of minutes. I'm not a doctor. You could maybe enumerate on that. Nets, Sixers, the Mavericks, who have no one to play defense. Yeah. The Magic and the Suns. And then comes the Blazers. Oh, the Suns. And I, I wonder... I wonder if the – maybe you have the stats to back it up. I would need to do some digging. If the Lillard-McCollum pairing is problematic to defensively and with the staggering you were talking about earlier, they were able to hide those guys who – Lillard's not a good defender. McCollum's a little bit small for his position and that if only one of them were on the court at the same time, they were uh, they were less – vulnerable defensively maybe with them on the court playing those heavy minutes that has significantly impacted uh, their defense in a negative way it could yeah for sure for sure 
Look, Lillard and McCollum, to their effect, are not plus defenders. I actually read an article. I believe it was a Zach Lowe article. You can read? I can read. He's, can. An, account- he's an accountant. No, I'm an accountant, so I don't know letters. Anyways, yes, I can read. And what I read in the article that I read the words of um, was that Myers Leonard approached Damian Lillard during one game where they were letting up a ton of points and their their um, movements defensively weren't in sync with what they should have been and they weren't communicating. Myers Leonard approached Damian Lillard and said, hey, can you address the team? We really need to you know, pick up our D. And Lillard has hesitated because he didn't want to be seen as a guy who thinks he is a plus defender, even though he's the undeniable leader of that team and the best player on that team. He's having a tremendous year. But to his point, he's not a plus defender. Should he have spoken up? I think so. He's a leader. He doesn't necessarily need to be a plus defender. But the fact that their leader is skeptical about talking about defense with the team kind of shows why they are where they are defensively. That's a really interesting point. No, that's, that's that's a really interesting point. And I, I think there have been questions all along about whether McCollum and Lillard can be the backcourt on a contending team. Last year, they overachieved expectations. Yeah. And it was their first year together. And maybe because of their versatility in scoring the ball, they caught a lot of teams by surprise. Yeah. Then in the playoffs, they were a little bit frisky. They caught, but that's and they caught the Clippers with no one, right? They played the Clippers. And then they battled the Warriors, but the Warriors would always struggle yeah. over the last couple of years against the team with two score first guards. Yeah. Because that was where the Warriors had trouble. Um, and I think that's yet to be answered. Maybe maybe McCollum or Lillard. I can't see Lillard going. Maybe McCollum has to go. Here's my question with McCollum. Do you think... And he's having a great year, too. He's averaging 20 a game. Do you think he should come off the bench? He plays 35 minutes a game, as is right now. Bring him off the bench. He could still play 32 minutes a game, but he can literally be with that starting lineup. I mean, with that second team, instead of the starting lineup for those first shifts of the half. And Alan Crabb starts? Sure. I mean, Evan Turner. You can't it, start Evan Turner. Exactly. You can't put him there. He He is dead money to me. I don't see that working. I, I Unless he dramatically... Improves his shot, which he's not. He going never will. To. Yeah, he never will. That's dead money. And he was effective last year for the Celtics in a very unique type of role, right? Because the Celtics had no creators off the bench, and they needed a guy to pound the ball. And yeah. Evan Turner was perfect in that role, right? Exactly. It worked out really well. I was surprised when the Blazers gave him money. I was surprised when they gave um, Azili money. I was surprised, not as surprised, when they re-signed Harkless and Crab. The, the contracts looked huge on the surface. Crab has not played well. Harkless has actually played very well, and he got less money than Crab. Um, but that's my concern with the, the Blazers. Going back to your question, is, is they they have a lot of guys who are going to be considered dead money. And I think the Blazers are an interesting study in this new NBA of positionless basketball, because ostensibly they have two groups of two guys starting that are the exact same guy. I think Lillard and McCollum are pretty much the same player. Yeah. Lillard's a slightly better playmaker, but they're score-first tweeners. Yeah. And Harkless and Aminu are the exact same guy. Yeah. Similar sizes, neither a three nor a four. Both of them are streaky shooters, not good enough to actually be scary on the outside, yeah. but will hit open shots. And theoretically, with positionless basketball, that shouldn't matter if you have four guys that play in concert and then one guy to clean up the, the misses and protect yeah. the rim. 
but but maybe the quote unquote positionlessness of a team needs to have a little bit more versatility in size and skill set. Yeah. I think you can get away with it with guards. I don't think you could get away with it with forwards. Because I don't think in the league there's that dramatic of a difference between defending a point guard, defending a shooting guard necessarily, in terms of size, athletic ability, um, and, and, and that, like the intangibles. But I do think... On some teams, there's a dramatic difference between small forward and power forward, which is why I don't think it would work for the Blazers the same way I don't think it necessarily will work for the Pistons with Marcus Morris and Tobias Harris because they're both those tweeners. You could get away with it on offense sometimes if one of those guys is a better shooter, but in this instance of Harkless and Aminu, neither guy is is a tr- is, is a good three-point shooter. Yeah, they'll, they'll, they'll hit some in streaks, like you said, but I don't see it working. So I do see... Lillard and McCollum working. I don't know if the forward combination can work. Mo Harkless, last year, 2015-16, played in 78 games, started only 14 of them. Mm-hmm. Noah Vonla actually, while playing 15 minutes a game, started 56. Could the Mo Harkless in the starting lineup move actually be what's hurting the Blazers? I mean, it would, it would be crazy that someone who theoretically is the fifth most important member of the starting five could change chemistry that much, but it's not inconceivable. Statistically, Harkless is playing better than than Aminu. Aminu is Aminu hasn't played much; he's been injured. His all of his stats though and his PER have absolutely plummeted this year. He's not playing very well. He's a better defender than Harkless. I. Harkless is one of the few bright spots. I, I I couldn't sit here and conceivably say the move to him in the starting lineup is the issue. Fair. I don't, I don't think I don't think moving Vonle back and having either Aminu or Harkless start at the three is the answer either. Yeah, but that's how I see it with the Blazers. They're dead money. The Wizards are screwed because I don't think they'll have any of the superstars the Blazers do have on their team, though. One last question for you about the Blazers, and we'll move on. Yeah. How different do you think Myers Leonard's life and career would be if his name was Leonard Myers? <laughs> Leonard Myers is a chiropractor <laughs> from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. His practice is not thriving. But, he, but really, he does well. He makes a decent living. He makes a decent living. And, you know, he's balding, unfortunately. He's 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 only 38 years old, but he's balding. And I think he plays in, like, a jazz band on the side. He plays in a jazz like, band on the side. Yeah, absolutely. A woodwind, perhaps. Yeah, a woodwind, for sure. Oh, for sure. <laughs> Leonard Myers, the woodwind. Which which instrument? I'm thinking sax. Yeah. Yeah. I'm thinking sax. He's a sax player. I'm thinking sax. But unfortunately, he actually had a major shoulder injury. <laughs> he ran into a pillar trying to get to his concert that he was late for. And he ran into a pillar. In a parking garage. And he tore his rotator cuff Ooh, somehow. On his, running, on his strong arm. Yeah, I don't know if that's feasible, really. Running into a pillar, tearing a rotating, rotator cuff. Let's call it a dislocation instead. Broke his clavicle. Broke his clavicle. Yeah, now he can't physically hold the saxophone and maneuver his arms the way he needs to. Because he's very freewheeling with his arms when he plays the saxophone. Yeah, yeah, gesticulates a lot. He's a gesticulator, yeah. Oh my gosh, we need to talk to Myers Leonard about <laughs> what could have been his yeah. reality. Yeah. All right, what's next on deck for you in NBA topics? What is next? Let's talk about 
a guy who I would assume is the smallest player in the NBA. Isaiah Thomas. Kay Felder. Kay Felder. Is Kay Felder shorter now? I think Kay Felder is like 5'7". They're both... Isaiah's probably listed at 5'9", but he's definitely more like 5'7". Kay Felder's listed at 5'9". They're probably like the exact same size and body type. But anyways... Of the Nate Robinson mold, if you will. Yes. Let me give you Isaiah Thomas' stats, and then I'll pose a question to you. 26 points a game, 18th in PER in the league, 7th in usage rate, which obviously measures how much you are used in your offense during your time on the court. And his real plus minus is 49th, which maybe indicates that his level of play and his scoring isn't taken advantage of. Or, you know, the Celtics playing a lot of close games. Fine. The Celtics have aspirations to be contenders in the East, whether it's this year or next year. They signed Al Horford. You know, they're trying to make moves. Very evident. Good building block. Good coach. Can Isaiah Thomas be the go-to guy on that team, on a contending team, as he is now with the Celtics? So when you proposed this topic of conversation to me via email earlier, you said that there have been some AI comps recently. Yeah. Allen Iverson. Not comps necessarily, but AI said, you know, there was an exchange between them and Isaiah really looks up to AI. He just wants to emulate him. He's not going to be the next Allen Iverson, but I mean, statistically, he's not that far of a cry away from him. I mean, I heard it. I decided to look up the numbers because I was curious. He looked them up. And his PER this season... You know how to read numbers? I get them translated into full letter form. Wow. Yeah. it's It takes up a lot of the page when yeah. like 20 is spelled. Is it a big effort? It's a big effort. Yeah. Large. Humongous. Yeah. It's a huge it effort. You Occasionally. I have a great chiropractor for you in Philadelphia if you need one. Who is he? Leonard Myers. Send me his info. I'm going tomorrow. All right. Sorry. Go on. <laughs> Isaiah Thomas's PER, 24.9. You know yeah. where that would put him uh, compared to Allen Iverson? It would be the second best PER season of Allen Iverson's career. That doesn't surprise me. Do you know what PER stands for? Efficiency. Player efficiency rating. AI was not efficient in an era where he didn't have to be extremely efficient. What's crazy is how underrated efficiency was until a few years ago. Yeah. That no one cared about efficiency. You put Isaiah Thomas on that Sixers team. Do they even <laughs> sniff the finals versus the Lakers? No. Does Isaiah Thomas not get to step over Teron Lue? He still might get to step over Teron Lue. Teron Lue was prime step over <laughs> material. Not anymore. But okay, fine. I, David it, Blatt is crying somewhere. He is. It's, David Blatt's like, why didn't someone step over me? Well, if he's stressed out and, you know, I know a great chiropractor. We know a guy. Well, what do you think Thomas Isaiah is doing right now? Thomas Isaiah? Thomas Isaiah is the receptionist <laughs> at Leonard Myers' chiro- chiropractic clinic. Oh, yeah, he is. But he's he wants to be more. He wants to be more. But he dropped out of college. He did. Yeah. Did too many bad things. We won't get into that we now. We won't get into that. We don't have time. And Leonard Myers doesn't want to know. <laughs> so, no, I don't think Isaiah Thomas, in the current construction of the NBA, mm-hmm. can be the first option on a title contending team. Because mm-hmm. I think he is he's underrated defensively, but he is too much of a liability defensively or not quite good enough offensively i think he's fine defensively 
on a game-to-game basis, but in the playoffs defensively, he gets exposed. If he's going to go up against these point guards, these elite point guards night in, night out, whom Kyrie Irving's not a big guy, but compared to Isaiah, he physically bullies him. And forget even the one-on-one defense. Look what the Cavs did to Steph Curry in the finals. They put him in a pick-and-roll every minute of every possession he was on the court, and he hit switches that just sapped the energy out of him on both sides of the ball. And... Sorry. I just paused there because on Isaiah Thomas's basketball reference page, in parentheses under his name, it says pizza guy, and I'm not sure what that means. <laughs> pizza guy? Well, I've Oh, that must be his nickname. Yeah. The pizza guy? You, you didn't know about this? Everyone knows him as the pizza guy. Well, Isaiah Thomas, the pizza guy. You want nicknames. I like you it. Wanted nicknames. The pizza guy has more energy seeming than like a squirrel hopped up on methamphetamines, but he he would get worn down in a playoff. Yeah, so would a squirrel <laughs> hopped up on methamphetamines. Real <laughs> trouble on defense. Uh, tough, tough to stay in front of though. Yeah. Um. So no. Could Isaiah Thomas be? The main option on a team that pushes the Cavs to like game six and maybe pulls out that game six at home? Sure. Can they win a title? No. And that provides a really interesting conundrum for Boston. It does. I I think not this year, definitely in the offseason, I think they should trade him. He's got one more year left on his contract. So does Avery Bradley. I'd rather see that money get committed to Avery Bradley, who's a plus defender, and he's averaging 18-8 and eight this year. Rebounds. Eight rebounds, yeah. yes. I think he's a combo guard who can guard point guards and shooting guards, so it doesn't really matter if he's playing alongside a point guard. I think he needs a true elite point guard and more of a distributor. Isaiah is a fine distributor, but I think... Look, I think if you're going to put Isaiah Thomas on a championship team, I still think he's a sixth man on that team. I agree with that. But but then you look at his numbers and you look how well his team's playing. They struggled early on this season because Jay Crowder was injured, Al Horford was injured. And I think, I think we haven't fully figured out what Isaiah Thomas is. Because he's three years ago we thought we had him read. That he is the Jamal Crawford type, a guy who scores off the bench, can get buckets whenever, but has serious liabilities. But now he's doing it. And yeah. it defies it defies conventional wisdom. Yeah. And the numbers don't really match up to what you see. Yeah. And, you know, there are believers. I have Boston fan friends who think he could be the guy. And maybe it's the fact that no one his size, you know, outside of AI, has done it before. Maybe there still is bias against someone of his ilk. AI yeah, was he, a better defender, and he was at least three inches, probably four inches taller than Isaiah. I, I, maybe. AI was 5'10", 5'11". He was listed at 6 or 6'1". He was definitely 5'10", 5'11". Um, but I think point guards were generally smaller, and it wasn't as great of a point guard era back then. And he also had Eric Snow to guard the better guard, whether it was the point guard or the shooting guard at the time. The was- Eric Snow-Aaron McKee combo from those Sixers teams of slow, offensively challenged wing players. You didn't. Well, they were good defenders, and you didn't need more offense with AI. 
Tom oh McCullough. Oh my gosh, and zero floor spacing on that team. They had some Tom of the worst shooters ever assembled. It's it's a shocker to me. The Eastern Conference in those years might have been the worst conference in a time period in the history of sports. Could have been. Could have been. I, I don't have an immediate thought against or for it, but yeah, I'm with you on that. Hey, you know what you know what it's time for, Doug? What's it time for? It's time for our favorite new segment. Oh, we have a new segment. Yeah, you wanna enlighten the fans? Yes, we have a new segment. Working title, but as of now the segment is called The Russell Westbrook is Amazing and We Need to Talk About Him for a Minute Minute. And this is when we would play theme music for it, which I keep asking you for. And as the musical He's amazing. Oh, my God. He is. It's so good. And I can't believe early on in the season, everyone was like, oh, James Harden is good as Russell Westbrook. I am firmly of the belief that it's not close. This guy, the 18 boards and 16 assists, like... He's insane. He's insane. We're not going to get back into James Harden versus Russell Westbrook, but Russell Westbrook is 19 games into the season after their unfortunate defeat of the Knicks last night. And being 19 games into a season and averaging the triple-double that he is, which is 30.9 points, (laughs) 11.3 assists, and 10.3 rebounds, it's the latest in a season since Oscar Robertson's triple-double-bearing season that anyone has averaged a triple double. Russell Westbrook now has more triple doubles than LeBron or is tied with LeBron for I'm, triple doubles. Yeah, I have a great stat for you. And LeBron came into the league six seasons before Westbrook? Yes. That's crazy. That's crazy because LeBron LeBron is the man of all men in the history of the world whoever was built yeah. to record a triple double on an NBA court. Yes. And Westbrook is blowing him out of the water just by sheer force of will. Yeah. Russell Westbrook has eight triple-doubles this season. The New York Knicks, in the last 25 years, have seven triple-doubles. So that's everyone on the Knicks has combined seven while playing for the Knicks. Russell Westbrook has eight in 19 games. That's unbelievable to me. If Russell Westbrook got... 30 triple-doubles this season. He's on pace for it. He's on pace for more than that, but yeah. But didn't average a triple-double. Would that be a greater feat than Oscar Robertson's average of a triple-double? In today's NBA, yes. I think so. I think so. Defense is better. Players in general are better. There are more teams. Like, like I think there are more teams, right? Out, the, the offensive deficient AI team got to the finals with literally just one guy who could score. That would never fly in today's NBA. Think about that. Oh, they also had George Lynch, another awful offensive player. George Lynch. Who on that team could score? I'm looking up the 2001 hey, Sixers stats. What do you think Lynch George is doing right now? Don't answer that. Lynch, <laughs> Lynch is not a first name. <laughs> it is some places. We don't need to go there. They had... Young Rajah Bell. Yeah. Their second leading scorer on that AI title contending team was Theo Ratliff. 12.4 points a game. Wow. And their third leading scorer was 
Dikembe Mutombo at 11.7 <laughs> points a game. Those two definitely did not play together. There's no way. No way. Oh, they had an old Tony Kukoc. <laughs> oh, my God. I love these names. So, anyway, remember before the first game of the season when I asked you, could Russell average 30 points, 8 assists, 8 rebounds? I said, game? yeah. You said, yeah. I was skeptical, but I said, yes, as well. Right now, he's 31, 11, and 10. Is it... it what do you, what would you put the odds at, or what percent would you give him that he's going to average a triple double for the season? I wonder if there are odds on that. I'm sure you can get him somewhere. I, I'm looking. I gamble a lot. I would say 35. percent I really just still don't see it sustainable. We've, we're not even a fourth of the way into the season. All right. Here's a question: Would you bet if the odds were plus 250 for Westbrook? Averaging a triple double. Are Plus you are you betting are you betting on that? Are you putting money on that? Right now? Yes. Yeah, I would. I would too. It's good. I mean, yeah, if you I can, would too. if you can return two hundred fifty percent of your investment, yeah. But you wouldn't you wouldn't bet that on Plus one fifty on, on Lynch George coming out of retirement and playing <laughs> in the NBA. No, I wouldn't. Definitely not. But just back on Russell. <laughs> back on Russell for a second. It, it, for for him to average a triple double would be remarkable. I mean, it just takes one slight hamstring tweak that bothers him over the course of a week. He could still play with it, but maybe he's not going to go after the rebounds with the tenacity that he is right now. Before we wrap up, Doug. Before we wrap it up, Doug. Any any final thoughts on what you've seen so far in the NBA? I do want to mention one thing about betting on the NBA. Okay. We've we've been betting for a while, but yeah. we've been ramping it up a little bit this year. And to any of you out there who are looking to make a little little gambling's legal a lot of places, but if you're in Vegas looking to make a little money, you know what my go-to bet is of all in the NBA. I don't. Yeah, you want to take the points when the 76ers are playing with Joel Embiid. They cover spreads. You want to take the points. Interesting. You've made money on that so far? Yes. You might want to tease them because a teaser is always a little more fun. Oh, no. Here we go. So if you don't know, which no one knows, and I'm about to tell all of you who are listening, Ben is now known as Teaser Ben. He's a huge fan of the tease. Teaser Ben! Which is Ben. I theme song music also. (laughs) Yep. Teaser Ben theme song. So a teaser is betting slang for a parlay in which you're given more points to the team you're betting for. So your odds are are, are uh, pumped down a little bit, but the chance of you winning each individual game is higher because you're whichever team you're betting on, you're getting better odds than you normally would if you were just betting that line straight up. Ben is a huge fan of the teaser. He's been teasing all day, every day. Any teams, any teams that you're always looking to put in the tees besides the Sixers with Embiid? I like to throw the Raptors in a tease. Raptors, I like. I, I like the Raptors. I think they're still not fully as respected by, I guess, Vegas and the gamblers as well as they've done. That's fair. So, that's I fair, like, fair. I like to throw the Raptors in a tease. The Raptors, I'm looking it up against the spread. And I was just saying that not having research, just knowing what I've seen, are 11, 5, and 1 against the spread uh you know teams i feel like the raptors 
the Hawks last year, not as much this year. Teams that are better than I think people realize, and by that I mean they're not in a huge market. Well, I take that back. Toronto is a very, very big market, but they're not. They're not the the teams that the NBA expects to be good. I feel like always do a little better against the spread than uh, than you would than you would think. Worst team against the spread. Oh, now he's smiling. Is it the Knicks? It's the Minnesota Timberwolves. Ah! Perception, reality, and best team against the spread. And you'll be happy to find out about this because we are betting on them tonight. The Houston Rockets, twelve oh, and five. Nice. Nine and two away. Yeah. That's where they are tonight versus the Jazz. Minus two. Root for us. Root for us, everyone. All right. But by the time you listen to this, it will have already happened. Yeah. So you could commiserate with us or celebrate with us. All right. My last point is the Greek freak, Giannis Antetokounmpo. I got his name right. Close. His stats this year. He's 15th in PER at 25.4, which I know is a popular stat that we keep throwing out. But I think it's a good measure of, of how good you are, at least offensively. His, his normalized stats, 22 points a game, 8.3 rebounds a game, 6 assists a game, 2.1 blocks a game, which is 5th in the NBA, and 1.9 steals. If it wasn't for Matthew Dellavedova out assisting him by .3 per game, he would lead the Bucks in all five categories. He, in my mind, is elite. And as a point guard, or whatever you want to call him, you don't have to identify him positionally, but he is the point guard this year. And do you know what Jason Kidd said about him? He's not considered a superstar in this league because his name is hard to pronounce. And I completely agree. Every time I say his name, I have to take a second to think about it. And that's why I'm stalling right now before I say Giannis Antetokounmpo. But back to nicknames, he has one of the few nicknames where you say it and you know who he is. Yeah, but it's weird to say like, hey, did you see Greek Freak yesterday? <laughs> I don't think it's weird. I think it's a little weird. It's not as weird as Slenderlegs. Slenderlegs Wiggins. It's weird. All right, I'm on the way to the subway tomorrow. I'm going to ask everyone I pass, hey, did you see the Greek freak yesterday? And I'm going to see what people say. Well, before you do that, you should probably check to see if he's playing. And he I don't think- is playing. They're losing 26-13 to 13 to the Cavs in the first quarter right now. So, lots of stuff. Yeah. This was a good podcast. Is it our last podcast? Do you have something to tell me? No, I was just wondering. I just wanted to know if I should expect us to reconvene next week to do this. I have plans. I'll have, I'll have my people get get in touch with your people. That's great. Sounds good. Looking forward to it. Yeah. Me too. All right. All right. Thanks for listening. Over Bye. and out. Bye. <laughs>